Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. All right, series titled Work in Progress, and we're walking through the book of James. We're learning about the work that God does in a life once people come um, in relationship with Christ. I'm going to say that again. We're talking about the work that God does in a life once people come to relationship with Christ. God saves us, he sets us apart, and he places a call on our lives. And now, from salvation, we begin to work out what God has done in us. Um, I think it's a perfect moment for us to talk about the second song we sang um, called Fountains. And we actually, uh, we were doing a small group Bible study earlier this week. And um, we, this song got brought up because the, the lyrics were kind of confusing. Because uh, it says, I am good, you say I'm good. And for many of us, we know we're not good. We're bad. We mess up. We sin. And so what, it, what, what does this mean for us? And the idea is that when you place faith in Jesus Christ, you become righteous. The, the, the writer Paul would say that he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin for us. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So what happens is there's, a, there's an exchange. We give up our sinfulness. We, we trade it away. So it's like we're making a trade. Okay, remember being in elementary school and you'd be at the lunch table and you would make trades? Does anybody remember doing this? You had a pudding cup and they had an extra bag of chips or something. And you're like, I will give you my pudding cup for your bag of chips. And there'd be like a, there'd be, you know, some, some negotiating that would happen. And eventually, if you played your cards right, you would give, give away whatever uh, you didn't want and you would receive what you did want. That's the idea. We have sinfulness, we give it away to God, and we receive his righteousness. We become, like the song said, good, or we become righteous, or we become perfect. We become we come forgiven. We're who God wants us to be. And now, from that position of being saved, God begins to work on the outside what he's done for us on the inside. Okay, you've been made righteous, you're good. And yet it takes pretty much a lifetime for the outside you to catch up with what God has done on the inside for you. Are you with me? And so James is writing to the the followers of Jesus to talk about how God works on the outside, what God has already done on the inside. Are you with me? This is a really important principle for us to understand. And and as James will will get to it, but oftentimes we view relationship with God opposite. We think that we work out on the outside in order to be good on the inside. And it doesn't work like that. It's the opposite. God makes us good. God makes us righteous. God makes us forgiven. And then from that position, we begin to walk out what God wants to do out of our life. Now, last week, Shane kicked us off when we talked about fighting temptation and trials. And we learned that although those words seem big and scary and like they're always knocking on our door, we can actually find victory over whatever we are facing. And tonight, we're going to continue in chapter 2. James 2 is one of the most important chapters of the Bible. I'll say it again. 
James 2 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. It is also one of the most misunderstood chapters in the Bible. This chapter explained to us how faith works in our life. And more specifically, the type of faith that works in our life. Okay, how faith works, and more specifically, the type of faith that works in our life. I've titled this message, The Right Kind of Faith. The Right Kind of Faith. All right, James chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to work our way all over the place in James chapter 2. Sound good? All right, verse 14, it says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose, he gives an example, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith. Without your deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us now. Open up our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The right kind of faith. So about a... I don't remember the timeline, maybe a year ago. Hannah was out of town for a couple of weeks. Hannah's my wife. And uh, a week, a couple of weeks, I don't remember. It seemed like an eternity. And um, I ran out of uh, dishwasher, I call it sauce, um, that goes into the dishwasher. And I ran out of it. And uh, so uh, I was doing the dishes because I, I do not leave dishes in the sink. They go immediately in the dishwasher. If the dishwasher is full, I empty the dishwasher and I put them in the dishwasher, okay? That's just how I work. Um, that, I wasn't like that growing up. It's pretty recent, to be honest with you. Anyways, um, so dishwasher is now full. I'm going to run it. I'm out of the normal dishwasher sauce. So I use different dishwater dishwasher sauce, okay? This dishwasher sauce is, is for the sink, it's not for the dishwasher, okay? And um, I've got a little video for you to see what happened when I did it. Hit that video. All right, so um, that's what happens. Hannah's not allowed to go out of town anymore because I break stuff. Um, so here, here, here's kind of my gripe with this situation. My sort of problem with it is I use soap. It was soap. In fact, it was dish soap. It wasn't hand soap. It wasn't shampoo. It wasn't conditioner. On the bottle, right, it's dish soap. But somebody didn't tell me that this dish soap doesn't work for this, these dishes. And this, I don't get it. It's dish soap. 
And yet, yet it was, it was the wrong kind of dish soap. Because there's the right kind of dish soap. It's either in a pod. Do you guys remember when people were eating Tide Pods? <laughs> wow, that's a throwback. All right, so there was... <laughs> there's the pods, but then there's the sauce. But this sauce, it's just liquid. Sauce, it's the dish sauce. It's like a little bit thicker. It's a little bit thicker than... I also call the, the laundry detergent laundry sauce, okay? I don't know why. It's just something that I do. Um, it's a little bit thicker, and it doesn't end in that. All right. James is describing for us the right kind of faith, or in other words, the faith that works, because it isn't enough just to have faith. It isn't enough just to have Dish soap. There is a type of dish soap that you need. And in the same way, it's not enough just to have faith. There's a type of faith that you have. It's about the object of our faith and what our faith does. This is an important concept because we live in a, a, a time period, a culture um, that is especially spiritual. Many people believe in a concept of God or in spiritual things, whether it's horoscopes or karma or good vibes or some non-binary being that is in the sky that is God. And many people have faith. They believe in some, some being some all-powerful or some far-out idea, concept that is God. But James isn't speaking just about faith or believe in, belief in some concept. James is speaking about the right kind of faith. And it is important, listen to me, it is important that we have the right kind of faith. Because the wrong kind of faith or faith in the wrong thing, is you think you're good, but you end up making a mess. You think you're good, and you end up breaking something. You think you're good, and you, you end up being disappointed. And the faith that James is calling us to is, is, a, it is a specific faith. It is the right kind of faith. And that is the faith that we are to possess as Christians. And we see in this chapter three things that our faith should be. All right, three things that make our faith right. Number one, right kind of faith is a decision. Right kind of faith is a decision. Um, if you, we, we began in verse 14, jump up to verse 1. James writes this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and then he says, must not show favoritism. We'll talk about that in a moment. I just want us to see that first part. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. You notice that the faith has an object. Believers, people of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing we are told is where our faith should lie. And our faith is in Jesus Christ as Lord. The right kind of faith is in Jesus specifically as Lord. 
A lot of people hold a faith in God. A lot of people believe in a higher power. But it matters where you place your faith. In fact, Jesus would say that you can't get to God without faith in specifically Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, no one can come to God except through me. Jesus makes it very specific, very clear, and meaning that faith has to be in the right thing. Because if he says that he is the only way to get to God and you're believing in something else, the, pro- the problem with that is your destination won't be God. Let me give you an example. Let's say from here you want to get to my house. To get from my house, you would leave the church. You'd go right on 10th right here. You'd go out. You'd make a left on 20th or Route 60. You would make a right then on Vero Beach Ave. You'd go straight. I'm the corner house. You guys would come over anytime. <laughs> Hannah's like, whoa. All right. If you decided to come to my house and you went left on 10th and then you went left on 17th and you went over the bridge and you went that direction and then you turned right there, you'd be on A1A, probably stuck behind somebody from Canada going 20 miles an hour. You wouldn't get to my house. Jesus, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's not being exclusive, he's being specific. He's saying there's a way to get to God. This is the way. Faith has to be in the right thing. He says we are believers specifically in Jesus Christ because he is the way we can have right relationship with God. So faith is a decision. And listen, because it's a decision, there's a right decision. And if there's a right decision, there's also a wrong decision. It matters, listen to me, it matters what you decide about Jesus. The Bible is abundantly clear that it is only through him that we can be saved. So if you reject Jesus or you decide to place faith in something else because we all have faith in something. If you choose to reject Jesus or place faith in something else, listen, it is not the right faith. It is important that you make the right Faith, that the object of your faith is something that can support you, something that's tried and true, something that has proof, has experience, that has love from God for us. And it's important that we place the right kind of faith. And that's a decision we all have to make. We all have to come to a point where we decide what we're going to do with Jesus. Are we going to be like uh, James writes to the church where he says, our brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, or are we going to be somebody that rejects? All right, number two, the right kind of faith is not only a decision, it's also a direction. The right kind of faith is a direction. James talks about how faith without works is dead. He says it's a dead faith, it's lifeless. He says there in verse 14, I'll read it again. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? James is talking about the difference between a faith that is informational and a faith that is formational. I'm going to say it again because I think somebody's blowing their nose. <laughs> James is talking about James is talking about the difference between a faith that is informational. And a faith that is formational. 
It isn't enough to just believe in God. This is what he's saying. Listen to me. Eyes up here. It isn't enough to just believe in God, but your belief should then shape your life. You can say all day long that you believe in God, but your life and your actions always evidence your belief. You can say all day long that you believe in God, but your life and your actions always evidence your belief. If you believe something, your life will look a certain way. Now, it's important to clarify something that James is talking about. James is not talking about attempting to earn salvation or relationship with God. He is not saying that your good works is what allows you to have faith in God. He's not saying that. God's not up there looking at your life, waiting for you to get good so that you can have faith. He's not saying, okay, well, as soon as you clean up your act in this way, and as soon as you stop doing this, and as soon as you stop being a jerk to those people, and as soon as you start listening to your parents, and as soon as you read the Bible through, and as soon as you go to church ten times in a row, and as soon as you memorize these verses, and as soon, then you can be saved. That's not, that is not the gospel. That is not good news. That sounds like school. Right? It is, it is, it is doing to achieve, and it's doing so that you can have value. He's not saying that. The Bible is clear that there is no amount of good things you can do to make yourself right with God. Jesus is not Santa Claus. He doesn't just reward good behavior and then punish bad behavior. That's not Jesus. But listen... This is what James is getting at. The right kind of faith is always coupled with good works. It's two sides of the same coin. It is faith that is received. It is a belief. It is a decision that you make about Jesus accessed by our faith because of God's grace. But it is also something that impacts your life. It's the same. He's saying that faith, when you place faith in Jesus, it will impact your life. And he's saying, if it doesn't, then it's, it, it's a dead faith. <laughs> it's not full faith. The right kind of faith is one that's going to impact your life. It's faith in God because of the grace of God and faith in God that leads you to good works. So James is saying that faith is both a decision that you make. What do you do with Jesus? Are you going to say he is Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you going to reject him? And it's a direction. You're saying, okay, because I've placed faith in Jesus, because I've recognized him, because I've said this about him, because I believe this to be him, I am now going to allow that decision to impact my directions. I'm going to go in the way of faith. I'm going to, that's going to be followed by Good works. Doing things that gives glory to God and is a blessing to the people around us. All right, the final thought is this. The right kind of faith is about distance. The right kind of faith is about distance. So it's a decision, it's a direction, it's about distance. Now, in this chapter, 
James gives us three clear warnings about how Christians shouldn't behave. Okay, so he's talking about faith that works, the right kind of faith. And by doing so, he gives us three things that we shouldn't be doing. In other words, things that we should distance ourselves from. That there, that, that there are behaviors, there's activities, there's actions that as followers of Jesus, as we decide who Jesus is and as we head in the direction of God, we have to distance ourselves from things. He tells us three things. Number one, he tells us favoritism. Favoritism. Look at this verse, uh, James 2, uh, verse 2. Well, actually, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, he says, must not show favoritism. And then he describes this. He says, suppose a man comes into your meetings wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. He says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? And to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Okay, favoritism is basically how you treat people based upon what you think you might gain from them. That's favoritism. Favoritism is looking at somebody and thinking, do you know what? I might get something from them, so I'm going to treat them better because this person over here I probably won't get the same from or get as much from. And James uses the example of wealth. He says, you're favoring people because they look rich. And you're, you're rejecting or ignoring people because they look poor. But we show favoritism for all sorts of reasons. Maybe it's popularity. We think either they're popular or they're interesting. And, and, and that'll make me more popular or more interesting. Or we show favoritism based upon like mutual interests, like this person and I get along, this person and I, I don't really like them, or they, they haven't said nice things to me, or whatever it is, and so we don't show them favoritism. Or, or we even show favoritism based upon what we've heard about other people. Right, so like we've heard good things about this person, or maybe we heard bad things about this person, and so we treat them based upon what James would say, a, a, a preconceived judgment that we've come up with in our heart and in our mind, and then we treat them according to what we've come up with. Listen, James says that that has no place for the follower of Jesus. The follower of Jesus should recognize, and I love how he says this, because he, he kind of flips it, and he, he, he just sort of brings it all to a point. He says, you're, you're treating... You're treating the rich better than the poor? He says, isn't it the poor? Isn't it the poor? He's quoting Jesus. Isn't it the poor in spirit that God has chosen to inherit the kingdom of God? 
Isn't it not about wealth? Isn't it not about appearance? Isn't it not about what you think you can get or receive or what they have to offer you? Isn't it, aren't those the ones that mistreat you? And so he's saying that as followers of Jesus, we need to be, be slow to make judgments about people. We need to be slow to show favoritism to people based upon what we think we might gain from them. And I think it's really easy, especially as young people, and I'm not saying that we, that we have to be best friends with everybody. It's not what I'm saying. I hate the idea of cliques. I know it exists, so don't, so bear with me. But I hate the idea of cliques because oftentimes cliques are just groups of friends. You know what I'm saying? It's like, they're always hanging out together. It's like, well, yeah, they're friends. What do you mean? Anyways. So, but, but it's important for us to realize that, that we are, we're not to treat people based upon what we think we can get from them or how we think we might be favored as a result. He says that has no place. you got to distance yourself from that. The second thing we got to distance ourselves from is selective obedience. Selective obedience. Look what he says in verse 10. He's, he's springboarding off the law, he, or the same idea. He says, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And then he goes on and says this, for whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. All right, got you. He says, if you do not commit adultery, all right, good job, but you do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Right, you can't walk around and be like, I didn't commit adultery. You murdered someone. <laughs> and then he says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, James is warning against Picking and choosing commands of God to obey and not obey. The idea here is that sin is sin. Sin is sin. You love definitions that are defined by the word itself. Like, what does run mean? It means to run. And you're like, got it. Thanks. Sin is sin. And listen, the follower of Jesus is to distance themselves from sin. And listen, let me take it a step further. The follower of Jesus should distance themselves from the appearance of sin. We, 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 should, we should distance ourselves from sin. Things that are wrong. Things that the Bible has, has clearly spoken against. He uses extreme examples because he's driving a point home. Like adultery. Most of you guys aren't married. That's really not in, like you can't really do that. Murder. Like that's pretty extreme. Like, you guys are thinking about it, like, all right, we're praying for you. Like, that's pretty, he's, it's pretty dramatic, you know what I'm saying? But what he's saying, he's saying that, that sin is sin, and we've got to distance ourselves from what the Bible has clearly told us not to be a part of. But then also, listen, we've got to distance ourselves from the appearance of sin. 
When Hannah and I were dating, she lived in an apartment by herself, and we made a rule because we wanted to protect us not falling into sin. We made a rule that we did not hang out in her apartment alone. We didn't do it. And to take it a step further, there were times where, where we were doing stuff together, and we would not be in the house. We wouldn't be there. But I would try to avoid leaving my car at her place because I felt like if somebody drove by and saw Nate's car parked out in front of her, her place, even if we weren't doing anything wrong, it had the appearance of we could be doing something wrong. No, it's, it's not sin. It was, let me tell you, it's not sin for me to have parked my car out in front of her house. It wasn't sin. But it could have the appearance of that. Youth pastor, especially if the car was left there overnight. What if it, like, you're like, oh, that's not a good look. The youth pastor left his car at his girlfriend's house overnight. Like, that's not a good look. And, and so it's important, listen to me, it's important that we avoid sin. But it's also important that we avoid things that look like sin. Oh, no, 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 I wasn't actually doing anything. I just was there while everybody was doing those things. It's a bad look. Oh, no, 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 It's a bad look. We should avoid the appearance of sin. All right. The third thing that he warns us against in kind of what we already talked about, but it's faith without works. The final warning is we, are, we covered it, but a faith that doesn't impact your life. I want to close. Worship team, you could come up here. I was listening uh, to a teaching by a guy named Levi Lusco this week. Um, and uh, he's a pastor. If you've never listened to uh, Levi Lusco, if you're looking for somebody to subscribe to, whether it's YouTube or a podcast, check him out, okay? Levi Lusco, great Bible teacher. Um, but he was, he's kind of funny and quirky, but he was, he was really giving a message on camping, kind of. Not really, but it was his, it was his illustration. And in it, he talked about, um, he shared one of the primary things about ca- camping. Anybody been camping? Anybody like camping? Camping, camping, camping. Um, one of the, the primary things about camping or being in national parks or forests or in nature in general is the idea of leaving no trace. Leaving no trace. And there are seven principles. Sorry, someone was talking really loud. All right. Anyways, I just am a little ADD, that's all. I'm not trying to call you out. I'm just like, well, that sounds interesting. All right, seven, there are seven leave no trace principles that are, that are like sort of given as guides if you're going camping in national parks and things like that. Here are the seven of them. Plan ahead and prepare. Travel and camp on durable surfaces. That was for emphasis. Dispose of waste properly. Number four, leave what you find. Number five, minimize campfire impact. Number six, respect wildlife. And number seven, be considerate of other visitors. So those are the seven principles to leave no trace. If you do all these things, you will leave no impact on the campsite or in the forest or wherever you are. The idea of leave no trace is the exact opposite of what God is supposed to do in your life. We often allow God into our lives with the thought of him leaving no impact. All right, God, you can come in. Just don't touch anything. Right, like, you're welcome in my life. Come on over. But you better leave it exactly the way you found it. Don't, 
leave no trace, God. Leave no impact. Make sure you clean up after yourselves. Make sure you put out the fire. Make sure you dispose of waste properly. Leave no trace. This is not how God works. God comes in, listen to me, and changes everything. God kicks down the, not kicks down, God opens the door. He, God comes in invited. That's the Bible talks about that. God comes in invited, and he begins in your life to rearrange and change everything. Imagine this. Here's your life, and you say, God, come on in. He opens up the door of your life, and he goes, oh, that has got to go. That, what is that doing there? It ruins the whole feng shui of things. Get it out of here. What, what, what are you doing with this? No, it's gone. we got to move this over here. God comes into a life, and listen to me, he changes everything. And the right kind of faith is the faith that says, okay, God, I know I'm messed up. I know I'm broken. I know I'm incomplete. I know stuff's all out of whack and out of place. So, God, here I am. I'm opening my life to you and saying, change everything about me. And God comes in and with grace and compassion and mercy and love and with your best interest in mind, he sees you and he says, oh, this has got to go. You've been holding on to this and honey, I've got so much better stuff for you. You, 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 keep, you keep struggling in this, thinking that this is what's gonna bring you pleasure. But you, listen to me, you have no idea the goodness that I have for you. So Jesus comes in and he changes everything. And faith, the right kind of faith, is one that works, that allows God to come in and change and transform and make you the person he wants you to be. The wrong kind of faith says, I, 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 I'm fine, God. I like the way I am. Don't touch that. Leave me alone. I don't want to deal with that. I'm happy like this. I'm good, I'm fine, I'm content, it's, leave me alone. Not realizing that God actually has such good things for you. Not realizing that God actually has the best things for you. That God's thoughts towards you are only good. That God has plans for a future and a hope for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. He wants to give you a new identity. He wants to transform you and the people around you as a result of you. And it's important for us to say, okay, God, you can come in and please leave an impact. Please make me different. Please transform me. God wants to do that. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you.